This is music recording artist and MMA enthusiast Peter Serrato, and you are listening to The Big O Podcast. Welcome back for another episode of The Big O Podcast. Today I am joined by music recording artist, sports fanatic, and a soon-to-be dad, dog dad that is, Peter Serrato. <laughs> Pete, how are you doing today? I'm so good, man. Thanks for having me, dude. It's been it's been a while. It's been a while. I haven't seen your face in a while. Well, I've seen your face, but <laughs> all over my Instagram, you know, interviewing some really cool cats. You know, and then here comes me into your podcast, and you know, not not a special, but <laughs> Oh, listen, you you, you undersell know? yourself too much. Listen, we've We've been talking about doing this for, for quite some time, uh, probably like the early parts of, of COVID. And you were actually a, a huge part of me getting the technical side off the ground. So you are one of the, the ground floor guys for the Big O podcast. I wouldn't be doing the things that I am doing without your amazing expertise. And uh, I'm always appreciative for that. Oh, man, you're underselling yourself now. But um, hey, dude. I love what you're doing with the podcast. I'm very happy to to been, you know, a part of your the beginning stages when, you know, you're trying to figure out the audio stuff and whatnot. <laughs> um, but super excited for you, man. You you have something really cool going and I, I wish you all the best and success with your podcast. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Lots of love. I mean, we've, we've got a little bit of a history. We've worked together. We've known yes, each other do. for quite some time. And uh, You're my boss. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've, had, we've had some good times, for sure. You know, we've, uh, we've got to, you know, experience some really cool things um, in our work life. And uh, the funny thing about that is that, you know, we worked together for, you know, for a couple summers, a couple years. And even though we spent so much time together, I had no idea that you were doing what you were doing. Like you have got like the Tony Stark Iron Man personas down so well where it's like, you know, this great, amazing supervisor, teacher of kids, like helping within the community. And then all of a sudden by night, it's it's gigs, music recording. I had no I was shocked when people told me that you were doing what you're doing. And then I obviously checked out the Instagram and heard the music and I was like in awe about, you know, who this guy is. How do you, you know, balance those two different aspects of your life? Oh boy. Um, yeah, I got my hands in a couple of things, but, um, you know what, that, that's something that I've been brought up like that. Um, I was brought up doing multiple participating in multiple activities um, my whole life. Like I, I, you know, I wasn't about the sleepovers. I wasn't about like going to parties and stuff. Like my whole life, I was just kind of balancing through sports. Um, at the time I wasn't even doing music. So it was just a, a bunch of sports. I was doing like karate. I was doing soccer. I was doing track. I was doing just a bunch of, a bunch of things, swimming. I was doing everything. Right. So, um, I kind of, it kind of translated over into like, you know, my adult years. Um, I've always been pretty calm. Uh, nothing really phases me in terms of, you know, nothing is like super overwhelming. I can handle a lot. But um, look, work-wise, I found something that was just super fun. Um, it didn't, it never felt like work for me. Uh, 
the only times it felt like work was just the administrative stuff <laughs> that, you know, I never got on time and <laughs> I just didn't like doing it. But everything else, it was a job that allowed me, it gave me so much clarity and helped me so much in my life. And I think that's why I can balance so well. It was a, it was an easygoing job. Yes, there were times that it was super difficult, right? But just allowed me to be calm, clear-headed. I could go home. I could work on music. So it was a beautiful, there's like a little bit of a beautiful relationship between work and, you know, my, my outside of work life. So um, it helped, helped a ton um, in terms of like the process of balancing. So, cause it really never felt overwhelming. I never felt overwhelmed doing what I was doing. And I imagine for you, it kind of felt the same thing, maybe different because you had to deal with a little more, <laughs> a little more things cause you were higher up there. But, um, for me, honestly, it was, uh, that job, it, it was just absolutely, you know, eye opening and a lot of fun. I just had fun every single day. So, I mean, that's how I balance no fair i mean listen you you were part of a great team and that made my life not only easy but also enjoyable and i'm i'm thinking back now i'm like you know the talent shows the performances all the signs were there for me to understand that pete was like this rec music recorder the superman and i got to see clark kent most of the time but you know the, oh, the, the sign the signs were there and i guess i just i missed out on them a little bit but happy that things happened that way because I was able to experience your music and your performance and your passion and love for what you do on a very different level. It wasn't something that I was expecting. And when I got surprised by it, I was like, I was, I was in, I was like downloaded on Spotify as soon as the new album came out. I mean, I was asking you about your music and you're like, listen, we pulled everything. We're getting ready for the new relaunch of, of, of all the music. <laughs> and I was like, I was in, I was like, Pete, when's it dropping? When's it dropping? And I've fallen in love with your music. Uh, I love the sound. And for me, it's like so cool because I know the guy who's doing some pretty cool shit out there in the music world. And I tell all my friends, I talk, I was talking about you to my wife earlier today. I'm like, I'm finally getting Pete on the podcast. We're finally making it happen. Um, and so, you know, what's it like for you? Obviously, you know, you started off at a young age doing, you know, these imaginary sold out shows in front of, you know, your empty living room. How did that help you prepare for your real life stage performances? I guess it was something that I've always manifested. I just didn't know that I wanted it that bad. Um, you know, in, in the beginning, music to me, it meant a lot, but I didn't know it yet. I didn't know it just yet how much it actually meant to me. Um, you know, I would get up on the couch, as you say, and I, I would like have like little private concerts <laughs> just alone picturing you know, I was basically just copying like what was going on on TV. Right. I'd watch like the country music channel or whatever it was. They had, they had like the Grand Ole Opry or something going. <laughs> and that was what I would watch all the time was the Grand Ole Opry. And, you know, I was like, oh, that's cool. I like, I like that. So I would just get up on my couch and, you know, no one was watching. I'd have my Fisher Price guitar <laughs> and I would do my thing. Right. But I was heavily into sports um, at the same time. Right. So growing up, I was always into sports. And music was sort of just like in the back of my conscience. It, it didn't actually, you know, it didn't come to the front yet. Um, but, you know, when I, whenever I was going through things or whatever, music was always there for me. 
So I think from a young age, I've been manifesting this. And when I finally, at the age of 18, which, you know, for, I don't know, for some people that's kind of late to start a music thing, but um, when I got up on stage, I was just absolutely terrified. But the minute, the second that I started singing into that microphone, I built this relationship with the microphone, the song, my voice, with, and the crowd and whatever. And it was this surreal experience. It was like, whoa, I, like I kind of remember this, <laughs> you know, like I, like I've been here before. Right, right so for I sure. Go back to that. Mem so I kind of go back to that little memory of just like standing on the couch and singing, you know, to no one. And now all of a sudden I'm actually doing it. It's pretty surreal how that connected. Right. It's just like little things you remember. You're like, oh, cool. That. I did that when I was little, you know, it's a little different now. There's actually like people judging you. Right. But it was pretty awesome. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Now you talked about, you know, growing up and playing sports and, you know, you're born and raised in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Your parents had some pretty high hopes for you. Hopefully, you know, being a doctor, maybe even a lawyer, <laughs> something that would financially help you Give, or help give some stability in your future. What was their right. response when you told them that your dream was going to be pursuing music? I'm so lucky, man. Honestly, I'm so lucky to have incredible parents that whatever I do, they're happy. Right. You know, obviously, my mom wanted me to be like a lawyer, you know. Or, or whatever, something big, right? That's like the European mentality, <laughs> you know, become a doctor, become a lawyer. Well, I didn't want to become a doctor. I sucked at math, sucked at science. You know, I was like, that's, that's just not my thing. Um, but I thought about being a lawyer for a long time. That was like my other thing. But, you know, I decided I wanted to do, you know, I kind of stopped doing things that I don't like to do. So I'm only pursuing things that make me happy. So uh, music was something that made me truly happy. It it got me through some rough stuff. And I just can't see myself doing anything else, to be very honest with you. And um, when I told them, they were super supportive. You know, the deal was you stay in school, you can you can get a degree, whatever. Um, and, you know, you can, you can work on music, right? What I appreciated was they didn't see the music thing as just a hobby. Right. Because to me, it's just it's not it's not a hobby. I, I honestly look at it as a job, and quite frankly, it's a full time job. There's you know it's twenty four hours a day. Like there's no nine to five. It's a full full day of work can be. Um, so I was just super thankful that they've always been supportive. You know, my parents come to all my shows. They listen to all my all my tracks. My mom when she figured out you know, Facebook and Instagram, and she made one, you know, her first thing, per the first person she followed was obviously me, boom, all right, let me start sharing everything, even posts from like, God knows when, <laughs> I don't know, but um, no, I'm just super, super thankful to have really supportive parents, and it's kind of the mentality, okay, if you're going to do it, well, do it well, right, so that's... I'm I'm just super thankful for that. I mean, it's interesting. I, I saw a, a recent documentary. A lot of people are talking about it, framing Britney Spears. I'm not sure if if you have seen it, but it definitely paints, you know, things in a have very not. yeah in a, in, a, in a different light when it comes to the scrutiny that she sort of had, and and really shows you when parents are not necessarily on the same page 
as their child or even really wanting what's best for their child, but see them more as a money-making machine or how can we set ourselves up for a future. You can see how quickly someone can fall out of love for what they are doing. Now, you've yeah. been doing music, as you said, since you were a young kid. Has there ever come a yeah. time where you have... I don't want to say fallen out of love for what you do, but maybe hit hit a rough patch. And if you have, what sort of helped you oh re- boy. regain the love? Okay, so interesting you bring that up. So recently, <laughs> <laughs> uh, very recently, and it, you know, it's not, I'm not going to blame like the pandemic for it or anything, but you know, I, for a very long time, as you know, I, I've been in the music biz music industry for a bit now since I was 18 um, that's 10 years which isn't a lot but um, you know and I sort of worked my way up and I've gone through it all not all not everything but um, you know I've hit some rough patches times where I'm like oh my god what am I doing this isn't getting me anywhere I'm oh my god I'm playing for like three people <laughs> what am I doing Oh my God. There, one time I actually only played for my mom. <laughs> I was at a bar wow. in Port Credit, door 55. And it was, there was like a snowstorm or something. I don't remember. But she was the only person there just sitting, clapping <laughs> every song. It was funny. But yeah. But anyways, I, as I got older, whatever, forward to now or this last year, I was always go, 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 go. And then the moment that I had time to just kind of sit there and think about everything, I started to realize, I'm like, I'm like, where's, where has music gotten me? Like, I'm almost 30. Like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Maybe, maybe I should become a lawyer. Maybe I should do these things. So I kind of went through this dark period of maybe this isn't for me. And then I, for a, for a while, I couldn't even pick up a guitar. I couldn't write anything. Like I just didn't, I didn't want to do anything. Um, so I kind of fell out of love with music, but forwarding on, it was, it was still during the pandemic, but um, I met Tom McKay, a producer, um, and he, he's been helping me through this. And he kind of told me this story that I tell everyone, every you know, music, musician or artist or anyone for that matter, not even musician that, you know, that's going through a hard time. Um, but he sat me down and he's like, Hey, he's like, you okay? I'm like, nah. <laughs> he's like, all right, let me tell you a story. He's like, so there's a, there's a story. He, he basically, he made it up, but right. <laughs> it was like, um, you know, he didn't hear this for anywhere. He just made it up, but, or he heard it from someone, but, um, three javelin players, one's, a pessimist, one's a realist, one's an optimist. They go out to the field. They're all kind of roughly all, you know, at the same sort of level, you know. And they're all trying to beat, let's say, the school record, which is, uh, I don't know, let's just pick a number, 70 meters. That sounds very short. (laughs) Anyways, 70 meters it is, okay? pessimist goes up and he's like eh, you know i don't know if i can hit this today but eh, eh, we'll see i don't really care throws it boom 69.9 just short 
realist goes up, he's like, all right, I think I can do it. Yeah, yeah, I can do it. But I don't really care if I, like, you know, I surpass it or whatever, fall short. That's whatever. Throws it 70 meters right on the dot. Optimist goes up. He's like, man, I'm going to throw this shit to the moon. I don't care. <laughs> you know, and he's, and mind you, he's not as, he's not as great as the other guys. Right. You know, but he's still pretty good. Throws it 70.1. And he looks at me, Tom looks at me and he says, count your point ones because your point one will keep on adding. And for me, it's 30 something years of point one. So it's just appreciating the little things, right? So for me, that's what I've kind of been doing, appreciating the smallest of victories, which for me, like picking up the piano, like learning the piano or something, right? That to me is right now, it's like a huge victory. I'm starting to play it really well, better than before. Might not be a big victory for someone else, but it's a big victory for me, right? Um, you know, a single stream, like I have to appreciate that one person that took the time to listen to the song, right? Or the a thousand streams that I get in comparison to like bigger artists or whatever, that get like millions, like a thousand streams. You know what? That's a thousand people that took the time to listen to your songs, right? So I'm just starting to appreciate life a little bit more and just appreciate the small things and just seeing that this is all a part of the bigger picture, all a part of the plan, and that I'm putting in the work and hopefully it'll translate into something bigger. But I'm not thinking like that. I'm not thinking about, you know, oh, I want to be like this and this and that. Right. Yeah, maybe subconsciously it's manifesting in my brain. But it's not something that I'm like, I'm set on. I'm just going day by day, working super hard. So that's how I'm kind of like going through that rough patch. And I sort of, I, I fell in love with music again, right? Because now I'm not putting this pressure, not putting these timelines on myself. Um, and just like that, I just feel a lot better. You know, I feel like I'm enjoying music. I, fe I feel like I'm at a different level now, musically. Um, because I've relieved that pressure off of my shoulders. So that that point one story is phenomenal. I mean, it makes so much sense when you hear something like that, and I totally understand. I mean, from from the perspectives we were talking before the podcast, you know, uh, I've joined this recent app called Clubhouse. It's an audio platform for for i for Apple users uh, right now. And I was just in a in a chat yesterday with uh, with Cabby from the Score, and you know he works at Bleacher Report and Tim McAuliffe. And it was a group talking about how to how to make it in sports media today. And the biggest things that all of the people in the, the group were talking about was don't get caught up with the view counts. Don't get caught up with the followers. Don't get caught up with the likes. Make good content. Focus on getting better. Focusing on expanding your expertise and things will come because sometimes it's one video that makes all the difference. And it could be the very first video you make could be the hundredth video that you make for you. It could be, you know, the 150th song you release and you put up on Spotify. Yeah. That is the one that catches everybody. And that's all you need, but just keep working. Absolutely. Keep working your craft. Keep, keep loving what you do because the moment you fall out of that love, you know, your work starts to reflect that a little bit 
and very easily you can sort of lose track of what you want to do. Thankfully for you, you run into the right person at the right time and they sort of help you get back on track and and look towards yeah. the future. What is what has the quarantine been like for you releasing an album during the quarantine not being able to really go play live music outside of, you know, Instagram live or maybe on like a YouTube channel? Uh, how are you staying motivated for putting out good music during the quarantine? So, I mean, in the beginning, you know, as I mentioned, it was, it was pretty rough, right? Um, you know, I had all these plans going in, you know, going on a tour. I was supposed to be in Scandinavia doing like a radio tour. I was supposed to be in Portugal and I was going to record Lisbon and, or the music video for Lisbon. I was, I was supposed to do these things and then boom, pandemic, <laughs> you know? And it just hit me, and then I was like, okay, well, this is pointless, right? Which went to my point where I lost (laughs) the love of music because I'm like, where am I going with this? It's not taking me anywhere. Now I have this pandemic thing. We got COVID. I can't go anywhere. (laughs) What am I going to do, right? So it was was a battle. At first, I I just wasn't wasn't motivated whatsoever to, to write music. For me, the way I write music, I have to be out and about and you know, just experiencing things. Um, that's just the way I create, the way I write. It's just me. But some people are different. Some people can lock themselves in their in their place and and just go to town and write and write and write. No, I need to be out. I need to be motivated. I write a lot of lyrics outside, like engaging with people. And I'm always on my phone, like typing away, like lyrics or whatever. But it was difficult. But um, I was still able to record um we had a lot of zoom sessions so that was something new um (laughs) it was interesting not quite the same because you lose that energy that you get for sure in a writing session or recording session in in a room you know with other musicians um in the beginning before it was you know we had the official lockdown we were still doing things um in the studio, which was nice, but then they took that away from us. And I'm like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? So we started the zoom thing and that went well. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the new stuff that I'm working on that is gearing towards, you know, 2022, basically, well, end of 2021 or probably the summer we'll start seeing new stuff. But, um, a lot of it was done, you know, starting last year, February and through the pandemic, Um, and with the guidance of Tom and, and Reno, my manager friend, um, you know, he, they, they both just kind of kept me motivated. Um, you know, it was just having that support group. That's what got me through it. And I started to love music again and again, just enjoying the little point ones and whatever. I don't care what it was. I'm like, all right, I'll take it. Cool. We wrote a song during the pandemic. That's awesome. Cool. Like, we were still able to do that. That's awesome. Right. So, I mean, I feel more prepared than ever now. I mean, there was time to think about strategies, like where do we go after this is all, you know, sort of restrictions are lifted, you know, we're, we're ready, man. Like I'm so ready. I'm prepared, honestly, more prepared than ever. Um, we just have all these strategies in place and it's great. It's great. I, I can't complain. I'm kind of thankful for, uh, like I'm not thankful, but I am thankful for last year. It, it le- allowed me to see things. It allowed me to grow as an artist as well. 
figuring out new ways of writing and, you know, recording, whatever. It, it was just great. So hard year, but uh, also thankful. Got to experience something different. <laughs> it was definitely different. No, for sure. I mean, obviously, it's it's been challenging for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Obviously, for someone like yeah. you who gets your motivation from being outside and and enjoying and, nature yeah. and interactions with people, I can see definitely see and how playing was. Yeah, and playing was a big part too. Like not being able to play the music was was heartbreaking for me because that's that's sort of my thing. Like I, you know, I love recording music, but. I love playing it more. Right. I love the live performance aspect of being a musician. And I'm that's not just me, that's like every single musician. We just love to be out there and playing and engaging because when you're starting out, that's like the only way to really promote your stuff, right? It's the it's the way to build an organic following and all of a sudden I didn't have that and it was like, okay, "Oh my god, this is terrifying. I don't know what to do." <laughs> Um, but you know, I, I think, I think we'll get there. I think things are going to get a little better. Um, and I'll be out there playing, but again, I'm not stressing about it. I'm not thinking about timelines. I'm not thinking about those things. I'm just kind of going through this whole lockdown quarantine, just taking it for what it is and, you know, doing what I can to be prepared when everything is lifted Let's get this show on the road, back on the saddle. Let's do it, right? So, yeah. Ready to hit the ground running. Now, you did release an album. I mentioned it earlier, uh, Sunset and a City. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. If someone does not know your music, how would you best describe your musical genre when it comes to this album? Oh, man, I don't even know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I honestly don't even know. Great no, great, great advertisement for your own music there, Pete. Good job, buddy. <laughs> it's inspired by a whole lot, man. Um, in particular, it's very cinematic. So okay. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge, I'm a big movie lover. I love, you know, musical scores. You know, like I love Hans Zimmer. I love all that stuff. Like that's, so we wanted to create an album that kind of represented that. And we were really targeting Europe at the time. Mm -hmm. So the album is very much a European sounding album. Um, it's not, truthfully, it's not something that would instantly get picked up in, in North America, I would say. Although a lot of it is inspired by, you know, North American sounds, but whatever. Um, but a lot of it, yeah, Americana, some rock, some folk. Um, it's just inspired by a lot of genres that I grew up listening to. Um, but very much a European production style. Um, you know, a lot of string work. You know, a lot, you know, wet vocals, lots of reverb and stuff. Like, it's just, yeah, it's just big, grand, epic. Those are some of the comments I get. It's like, <laughs> this is freaking epic, man. Sounds epic. And every song is sort of like a movie, right? It starts off soft and then it just builds and builds and builds. And then by the end, you're like, whoa, what just hit me? Like, this is crazy, right? And we wanted to make an album where, you know, you listen to a song, you know, one to 10 times. And every time you go through it, you find something new. Like, oh, wow, I didn't hear that in the beginning. So it's a very artsy fartsy um, album, I would say. 
Uh, but it was really fun. It was really fun to record. Um, but yeah, no, a lot of influences, um, very singer-songwriter stuff, lots of pop, soul, rock, Americana-influenced so uh, album for sure. It's funny you use the word cinematic because that's, you know, now that you say that word, every track and every time I listen to it, I've... I visualize, I close my eyes, I can visualize like the music video or the sound and take me to a place where I can see scenes unfolding. So, I mean, that is your goal. That is the result that I'm getting. I mean, I'm very biased. Lisbon, easily one of my, is my favorite song that that's on the album. Um, awesome. Super excited that, you know, there's a music video coming up for that. And we'll talk about that uh, in just a little bit, but um, yeah, I certainly get the feel of something like, you know, I, I grew up watching the Foo Fighters and I love the Foo Fighters because yeah. their music videos were all like stories and like little vignettes, little movies. And when I listen to your album, I, I imagine that and seeing some of the photos and press that you've done for this album, like, again, very much the look, very much the feel is there, you know, you talked about Hans Zimmer and loving musical scores is there a favorite musical score from a movie like all time in your mind that like just is oh, your inspiration? Dark Knight. Dark Knight, okay. Dark Knight, man. <laughs> Dark Knight is crazy. Just and it's that it's just those minor details that he was able to capture, like, you know, when the Joker with the the violin, I think he's using like a cello or a violin and he's building that tension. He got the guy to like repeat you know, the single note for like, I don't know. He, the guy was in session for like two hours. He was like, keep going. It's not it. You got to like, you know, more tension, more tension. Um, you know, but it was just well done. I don't know. He's just amazing. But I just like the fact that it just represented the movie and the characters so well. You know, if if you took the characters out of, you know, if, if it was just the score, you were just listening to a score. You're like, holy crap, like, what is this? This is some, like, epic <laughs> villain-type thing, right? You don't even have to watch the movie to understand what he's trying to capture. I Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know this for a fact. I heard, I heard something. You can fact-check this. I don't know. I might be wrong. <laughs> but apparently he does not watch the movie when he builds the score. Hans Zimmer? Hans Zimmer does not watch the movie before he builds the score. He like builds the score. He, you just tell him what like the themes are and whatnot, and he just goes off and he does this thing, whatever. I don't know. I could be wrong, but it's an interesting way to look at things. Interesting. But I could be wrong. Might be wrong. I'm probably wrong, and I'm just <laughs> making this up. <laughs> but I don't know where I heard that, but I heard it from someone or somewhere, somewhere on the internet. I don't know. <laughs> Listen, we don't fact check. I, I mean, that story sounds good. So yeah, I'm believe I'm gonna I'm gonna clip this part and and, and post it and send it to Hans Zimmer himself and uh, yeah. let him know. But it's so it's funny. Dark Knight, fantastic movie, fantastic score. I always yeah. go back to the first time I ever recognized the impact that sound and music had in a movie that I thought enhanced it, and that was Star Wars. For me, yes. Star Wars has some of the most iconic sounds and music. And as you talk about, you know, building through good, bad, building up scenes, building down scenes, transitioning yeah. scenes. And 
in Star Wars, it is a character in the film. As 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 much as Luke and Leia and, and Han and Chewie, yep. the music is yep. a character playing its role and helping you along the yeah. journey of telling a story. Um, you know, uh, Gone with the Wind is another one, very differently, but again, fantastic score. Um, and so, I have an appreciation for music and film now because bad music or bad. Uh, I don't want to say soundtrack, but just a bad uh, score in a movie can really change the feel of how a movie sort of comes oh, out. For sure. If you had the opportunity to be on any soundtrack of a film in the history of films, your favorite films, is there a movie that you would have loved to have done done a song for that you feel your musical style would you know would have impacted a film in a positive way that's a good question thanks pete it's a great question wow you're good at this man you know what you're doing <laughs> i try man i try oh dude i don't know like a james bond movie or something yeah james bond or like or scarface or something <laughs> those are two like very opposite ends of the spectrum <laughs> very films. different but <laughs> very different but like i don't know man probably like james bond or something that that'd be cool that'd be really cool i always wanted to write a song for james bond like a theme like not the where you know how like every yeah like some celebrities have like a song for james bond like billy eilish just did the last one i think or for the recent or has it come out yet no no it hasn't come out it comes yet. out this year no so yeah but she did that one i think adele did skyfall sam smith did one um That'd be cool. I'd love to do that. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. That'd be cool. James Bond, Peter Serato and James Bond. Or like the Narco or Narcos, like the TV series Narcos. Okay. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. See, it's funny you say James Bond because the I, I in the moment you said it, I I pictured Sam Smith's voice and the, and the song he did for whichever recent film it was. I can't remember. One of the Daniel Craig films. And I'm thinking, I'm like, that's Pete. Like, it's not the same sound as Sam Smith, but it's the same vibe that you get that would totally fit a James yeah. Bond, like, intro song. Um, and for me, like, Chris Cornell, when Casino Royale came out of Audio Slave, that one was like... That, that was like the first time I was really truly like tuned in to a James Bond yeah. song. And then for all the Daniel Craig movies, like that's been it for me. Like I Adele Skyfall was was incredible. Sam Smith. Uh he Oh, that's my one of my favorite. He did favorites. Spectre. I think he did Spectre. Spectre. Yeah. 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 Uh, it was the second last movie or the one before this one coming out, I think. Right? I think it was the last one. I think it was Spectre, because I think that's yeah, the one with one. Yeah. uh Christopher Waltz in it. I'm just picturing. I'm like, I think, and that's the buildup. Incredible, incredible uh, movies. Great songs, and I think that's one of like the, the cool things. Like, there's the Super Bowl halftime show. As far as like iconic performances go, there's uh, you know Pepsi or Coca Cola sponsorships. But I think one of like the coolest jobs that you could ever get because you probably only get one shot at it is a James Bond song, right? It's like putting oh, yeah. your artistic stamp on one of the most iconic set of movies that have been going on for like 50 years at this point. So um, that'd be kind of cool. I'd love to, I'd love to hear a rendition of uh, a Pete song, a Peter Serrato song that you would do for, uh, for James Bond. I think we should do it. We'll send it to Hans Zimmer yeah. and it'll be in the next Bond. Yeah. Film. 
<laughs> I'd be so down, man. Oh my god, that'd be so cool. Just having a song for James Bond, the the main song, the theme song. Oh my god, that'd be so cool. Um, that's like a that's a huge yeah. I gotta start manifesting that, man. <laughs> that that's it. I'm gonna start writing. I'm gonna start writing that song right after this podcast. I'm gonna start beautiful I'm gonna start building it executive producer julian ortiz of the big o podcast julian just, ortiz that's absolutely it. man absolutely don't worry you'll get your money man oh uh, it's not about money. it's not about money i'm just trying to attach my name to your star buddy that that is what i'm trying to do speaking speaking of your star so you have been making music and and, and singing and performing for quite some time um and then you end up on this great opportunity for eurovision can you yeah. walk us through how that happened, how you like auditioned for this competition? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the competition and how that experience catapulted you into brand new markets across the world. Basically, my album was a result of, you know, the festival and Eurovision. That's that's why we targeted Europe. Right. That's why it sounds all European and stuff. But anyways, that was that was odd. That was an odd thing, because um, I lived here. Right. You know, typically Portugal when they select their contestants, they're all from Portugal. You know, born and raised. But for the first year, they opened up their borders for anyone outside of Portugal or of Portugal with you know uh, with Portuguese citizenship. You can you can audition. So they had this like um, it was like a radio contest. Okay, it's like one of the bigger radios in in Portugal, and they're a sponsor. I'm sorry, they're a sponsor for uh, the festival, the the Portuguese qualifier for Eurovision. Um, so they were having this contest, and actually, my mom told me about it, and and I watch it every year, um, especially Eurovision. Um, I watch it every single year. So I was like, ah, you know what? Yeah, let's give it a shot. Let's just send in a song. So I sent them Sunset. And I didn't really think much about it. Because I'm like, the song's in English. It's never going to be picked up. Sure enough, I'm just walking. I remember walking to go get a coffee. Um, it was summertime. And I get a call. I'm like, oh, this is odd. Portugal? That's weird. <laughs> like, hey. Oh, your song got selected for uh, the festival. I'm, I'm like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding? Really? <laughs> so I remember like pacing so back and forth, like in excitement. I couldn't even talk to anyone. I was like, ha, 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 ha. I was just, I was just like throwing my fist up in the. Air. I'm like, yeah, let's go. And um, like, yeah, we're gonna need you in February. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I decided to go there in January just to climatize, you know, with the language, the culture. I mean, I speak Portuguese fluently, almost perfect. Um, but it's very different, you know, when I do interviews here and I and doing interviews there, the language is just so much more sophisticated. Sure. There's an expectation. Um, even though they know that I was born and raised here. Yeah, <laughs> they still speak. To, there's still this expectation that I, you know, I can, you know, I can understand it in, in like in terms of their caliber of Portuguese. Right. But anyways, went there in January. It was a great time. Honestly, did really nothing for a month. It was the best. 
um, did nothing, wrote some good songs, whatever, wrote Lisbon, um, wrote a bunch of songs while I was there. It was phenomenal. It's great and just super inspiring. It's an inspirational city. It's absolutely beautiful. But anyways, um, I had really no expectations to be fair. I didn't think that I would, that I would win because of the contestants that were there. Um, some really heavy hitters. Um, the top male Portuguese singer was a part of the contest. I'm like, okay, well, he's going to get, he's going to get selected. I'm not going to get selected. Are you kidding? How am I going to go up against that guy? So I took it day by day, whatever I, we did the semifinals and I was just amazed. And I met some really cool people that we, I mean, we still talk today. I, I talked to the guy, Diogo. He's again, a universal artist, top guy in Portugal. We still talk. Like, it's great. It's amazing. I even, um, not too long ago, he's like, what's your PS, uh, what's your PSN, uh, tag, man? <laughs> <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> um, but anyways, just met some really cool people, great contacts, great musicians. So if I ever go there, like I'm set, I, I can, I have a band there. It's, it's awesome. But yeah, it was a little like on the day of the competition, it was a little nerve wracking. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, this is a whole country. And even outside of Portugal, right? Because people will check, tune in to like different qualifiers that are going on during that day or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, this is like millions of people watching me on TV. You better not fuck up, man. (laughs) (laughs) Don't, don't screw this up, you know, or else you're going to turn into a meme or something, you know, I, I I don't want that. I was like, all right, but you know what? I was like, you know what? This is just the greatest, even if you don't win. You don't, you know, this is a great opportunity to just show what you're about, your music, and just make amazing contacts that will last you a lifetime. And, you know, you never know when you come back, you know, you can meet this person or that person. So that's how I kind of approach that whole entire festival. People are like, oh, this guy doesn't care if he wins or not. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, but I really didn't. I, I went for the experience right. and the exposure. Like that's, that was my main goal. And I got that. But it was just so interesting. The judges, they didn't understand. They were like, they just didn't get me. They, sure. um, in the voting, in the voting thing, I didn't do too well in the judges' vote. But dude, in the public vote, <laughs> I crushed it. I crushed it. I think, uh, what was it? Second or third or something? Oh, wow. I think it was second overall in my, yeah, in like my semifinal. Yeah, it was second overall. Like I, Yeah. I, it was crazy. I'm like, this is what it's about. Like, I care about this. I care about what the people, what the people are watching and what they're, what they're listening to. That's what I care about. I don't care if the judges don't <laughs> like it. Like to me, it's like, whatever. Yeah. Okay? You don't like it. Whatever. Why? Because probably it's non-Portuguese. That's why. But anyways, that's just a whole different thing. But, um, I don't really care. But the fact that people really loved it despite it being in portuguese yeah you got like a lot of people so oh it's not portuguese right it shouldn't even i was like okay whatever but people that understood what i was that some people just understood what i was about and where i came from you know there wasn't this expectation that i was going to sing in portuguese like okay he's from canada what else is he going to do right right he sings in english that's just who he is they selected him that for who he was so that's how i approached it people loved it 
and it was phenomenal. It was great. And then went to the finals and, you know, unfortunately it didn't go, it didn't go our way. It didn't get, you know, again, public vote was great. Right. The judges vote just va- was valued a little higher in terms of, um, in that round. So whatever. But anyways, it was, it was amazing, man. I think I got to play in front of like 20, was it? 15 or 20,000. I could be wow. wrong. I don't remember. It was like 15,000, 20,000 people. It was in the thousands. It was this arena. It was pretty cool, surreal. It felt like home. It was great. Um, it was interesting. I wasn't nervous at all. It was the most absurd thing. It was. It just felt like home. I felt like I wanted to be there. It was great, which I did want to be there, but I had this, this thing again. Remember, I was telling you when I first got in, in front of a microphone in front of people, I built this like connection with the microphone and the people in front of me. It was like this whole world. It was this cool. It was like I built this universe. Um, and I got to experience that again. It was amazing. It was really, really cool. And from that, you know, despite not going too far in the Eurovision thing, but I, from that, I got this wicked gig like a year later. I sang, I opened up for this artist, Aria. She's one of the biggest female artists in, in Portugal. Great name. And Aria, yeah. And um, it was incredible. Yeah, played for like 50,000 people. None of them knew who I was. Well, maybe <laughs> some for like the festival, you know, from the festival. But, you know, it was pretty amazing. And that was quite an experience. We had like a band. We had a band going into, before even touching down in Portugal, we had a band set up, they learned the songs, and then we got there, and then for whatever reason, her team was like, you can't use a band, and we're like, what? <laughs> so, so what are we going to do? So Reno and I were looking at each other, and like they're like, yeah, you're going to have to do this like acoustic, acoustically. I'm like, what? For <laughs> all these people? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, lucky for me and Reno, we do acoustic things right. all the time. So we, so we were ready. We were like, all right, cool. But people love that, man. So yeah, out of like that festival, I was able to build a lot of cool contacts. And um, still to this day, we stay connected. Two of my Portuguese songs, um, the only two Portuguese songs that I've ever released, um, they were written by a wonderful singer or... I, well, I think she does some singing, but mostly a lyricist, um, Liliana. She's amazing. But we connected with her through a contact that we made from that festival. So it was pretty cool. I mean, yeah, it was a learning experience. Um, and it, I, it definitely shaped me as an artist and just how I view the industry and, and all these things. I love the European market, man. I love Europe. There's just a different appreciation for music. Um, And I learned that while I was there for three months. People just love it. They love their music. Very different from here. Right. Um, (laughs) Toronto, there's not that appreciation. I'm not saying that people don't appreciate it. But, you know, I'm in a bar. The moment I say I'm going to play my original song, well, okay, it's pee-pee time, going to the yeah, bathroom, right. go outside, have a smoke. Oh, but he's he's about to play, you know, the Eagles. He's about <laughs> to play Hotel California. Oh, great. 
but who cares about sunset in a city? Don't worry. <laughs> it's all right. But in Europe, man, people love it. Like they love it. And the fact that I was, you know, Canadian and I was singing in English and, you know, people were just intrigued by it. They're like, oh, interesting. But I remember doing like little gigs in between and people were just so into it. They're like, who is this guy? Oh my God, I love these songs. People would come up and ask about like the songs and what are they about or whatever. Right. And it was just, it was interesting. Very different, two different places. Europe is like so crazy, so cool. Have you ever argued with a friend about the best sports movie? There's really no argument. It's obviously Caddyshack. What are you talking about, Adam? I guess you've never seen The Hurricane. Denzel is on fire in that one. And if it's not Caddyshack, it's clearly The Big Lebowski. We can all agree on that, right? Is that even a sports movie? Instead of arguing, let's agree to watch every sports movie ever made and rank them. I mean, we could record a podcast. What would we even call it? Real sports with two E's, like a reel of film. How are you both forgetting Remember the Titans? Remember is in the name. Ah, oh, jeez. Do you actually like sports movies, or you just got a thing for Denzel? Can Listen and subscribe to Real Sports on iTunes or Spotify. A lot of great film. Great. I, I don't think that means what you think it. Yeah, it's, it's funny because you know, I when I was reading up on you know the Eurovision stuff and and the fact that you were in the competition, I wasn't sure like exactly what it was. Right. I didn't know it was primarily like you know European competition. However, yep. what really stood out to me and how I knew that this was like a real important thing globally is will ferrell and rachel mcadams are in (laughs) a eurovision Eurovision. movie that talks about like the singing competition and i'm like okay hey dude this is awesome i have one question before you talk about the movie and that is if you got to be in this movie well you know like a secondary or tertiary character so i haven't watched the movie by the way i just know it's out right it's on i think it's on the okay. i think it was released by netflix, netflix. Yeah. yeah yeah um if you had to have someone play peter serato from canada <laughs> in this movie what actor would you choose to play that role Okay, so I'm only going to say this because I've gotten this many times. And I, you know what? Sure. James Franco. Apparently, him and I, we have this, like, similar thing. I don't know if it's the eyes. I don't know what it is. But um, I get I get that resemblance a lot. It's it's weird. They're like, you kind of look like James Franco. I'm like, Really? <laughs> That's the most common one. Someone said I looked like Tom Cruise. <laughs> is that a compliment? Is that a good I, thing? I don't. I don't know. It could be. I feel I like you're know. a little bit taller than he is. He, he was pretty. He was a badass. <laughs> Top Gun, you know, and Mission Impossible. I'm cool with that. No, but James Franco would be kind of cool. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like in 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 a Will Ferrell, Rachel McAdams, even Pierce Bronson's in that movie. I feel like James Franco would be like the kind of person who would be in that movie as an artist. Because I feel like oh, for he'd sure. kill that role. Yeah, man, like I'd love if if like you know Johnny Depp or Leonardo DiCaprio played my guy, but that's never gonna happen. But because I love I love Johnny Depp, man, he's like one of my favorite actors. But 
Um, yeah, James Franco for sure. Cool. I, lo- I think I think he suits. I think he suits the movie. Yeah, as, as you were saying, he does. He definitely does suit the movie. Yeah. I like that. I, I think that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. And it was it's funny because like in the summer, I think it came up. Like I was researching. I'm like, oh man, there's like a Eurovision movie, and I'm thinking like documentary, <laughs> and then I see like Will Ferrell's attached. I'm like, all right, this is gonna be like vintage, you know, Blades of Glory type of. Oh yeah, a uh, 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 film. Is with- it any good? I, I haven't seen all of it. I've seen bits and pieces. Uh, I, I watch Netflix late at night, so I usually fall asleep because I'm, I'm an old man like that. Yeah. But um, it's Will Ferrell and Richard McAdams. Like, of course, it's going to be great. You know, that's just that's just yeah. what they do. Um, I want to talk to you oh, about that's funny. One more thing before uh, before we wrap up, and that is you and I, big UFC guys, big MMA, yeah. you know, junkies. Um, yes. And so, you know, this weekend we have UFC 258 coming up. We have a huge, huge matchup uh, between Kamaru. That's right, Kamaru Usman and uh, Gilbert Burns. And for all of the people who don't know, Pete loves himself Brazilian MMA fighters. If there's not a Bra- guy from Brazil, Pete is not watching. This card has four. No, of- that's false. <laughs> that's absolutely false. This card, this card has four of them. But I want to talk about three major storylines going into UFC 258. Yeah. Um, we'll start with Macy Barber. Macy Barber, first fight back after tearing her ACL. She was undefeated. Was, you know, looking to be the youngest. Uh, champion in the UFC trying to break John Jones' record, um, suffers a, a little bit of a setback. She comes back uh, versus, uh, I'm just trying to look it up because I had it here, uh, Alexa Grasso, who's been putting up some some good numbers, some good fights. She's been fighting 12, some names. 12 3 I have it up here, 12 3 0. Yeah. So, you know, going into this fight, looking at, you know, the hype train that is Macy Barber, what are you hoping or expecting to see as she returns to the octagon after such a long layoff? Oh man. I mean, we we look at the McGregor situation, you know, being off for a long time, you know, ring rust. I don't know. She she's an exceptional fighter, man. I I think I think she can pull it off, dude. I think she can pull it off. I don't know about you. I think she pulls it off. Um, I don't know. Ring rust is a thing. Some fighters say it's not. Some say it is. I don't know who to believe. <laughs> I guess it just I guess it just really depends if they win or lose the fight. <laughs> and then it's like ring rust. <laughs> you know, I wasn't fight. You know, Conor McGregor. You know, he was like, hey, you know, I just didn't fight enough. I don't right. fight enough, right? And yeah, but it could be a thing. I don't know, man. Ring rust is I, I think it's definitely a thing. Um, I think it'll be it'll come down to just sharpness and, and we'll see we'll see if she can pull pull it off for sure. But I th- I think she can, man. She's an exceptional fighter. I mean, one um, one of the one of the fighters to look back from a similar injury was Dominic Cruz, right? Dominic Cruz is injured every, you know, four to five weeks it seems like and he still bounces back oh, and he's man. still looking electric so i mean hopefully she responds a little bit like dom does and can yeah. get back on that championship trail because you know what if i'm the ufc she's young she's active on social media she's a very easy person yeah. to market you know right up there with you know the way ronda rousey was and for the longest time yeah. she was actually calling out Paige van zamp who's now moved to bare knuckle fighting but 
this would be a, a great opportunity for the UFC. She's no bueno, man. She's, yeah, uh, <laughs> a great opportunity for the She's UFC no to bueno. bounce back and have that female star that they can really build the brand around. Uh, because you have someone like Amanda Nunes who's you know, got maybe a couple fights left, and then she's going to retire, and then who really yeah, knows? Yeah, you need someone else, I guess, to just kind of carry the torch, Exactly. Right? So, exactly. Uh, but there won't, be, there won't be an Amanda Nunes, man. She's an absolute beast. She's the goat. Beast. She's the goat. She she is, man. She is. She, she's amazing, man. She took... Man, I get so excited when I see, you know, these, you know, women fights. I'm like, oh, man. the the Usually... There, it's bloodbaths. I right. love it. I love a good bloodbath, man. Um, like what was her name? Um, oh my god, the uh, the Polish Polish fighter, Joanne. Oh, jo- Joanna Janjecik. Yes, can't say her last name. Um, against uh, was it Zhang or something? Yeah, yeah. Wei Li Zhang. Uh, whole, holy moly! Like that's what I'm talking about, man. They're electric. They're oh yeah, electric. I love it. Some it's. I don't know, man. To me, a, oh man, there it gets. Some of them are like just absolutely better than like these, you know, the men's fight, the men fights, man. They're just like I'm always, I'm always looking forward to it. I'm like, oh, all right, bloodbath, let's go. All right, I want to, I want to, you know? I want to stir the pot here for a second because you brought this okay. up and I wasn't gonna bring it yep. up, but now this yep. seems like the perfect segue for it. Uh, Stephen A. Smith, the lovable ESPN analyst from First Take. Uh, came out, yeah. uh, I, I was either this week or at the end of last week, and said, you know, he doesn't want to see women fighting. He has no interest in watching women Why? fighting. And he talked about it's just not something that is appealing to him. He's not saying don't have women fighting in the UFC or whatever. He's just saying it's not what he enjoys watching. But you know, Stephen A is a very, you know, polarizing character. Is Stephen A okay to say that he personally doesn't like it but will not stand in the way of other people or having them compete he just it's he's just not a fan of it i mean you don't have to be a fan of it i mean if that's what he thinks that's what he thinks like who who are we to you know decide that for him but i think women fighting is awesome man it's it's electric it's and it gets i think out of all the sports that you know that that exists it gets the most attraction it's women fighting like amanda nunez whatever like people tune into that for sure you know people tune into a man an amanda nunez fight people were tuning into a ronda rousey fight um what was uh the the girl that beat ronda rousey what was holly it? Holm? Uh, holmes yeah um you know people tune into that so it generates okay maybe it doesn't generate the same amount of money as like a conor mcgregor or or, you know, like a big, big time fight, but it's, I don't know. It's still relevant, man. Like, why can't they, why can't they fight? Yeah. I mean, for, for, for me, you know, the, the female fighter that means the most to me these days is Michelle Watterson, like Michelle Watterson, the karate hottie. And I love Michelle for two reasons. Number one, she's just a badass like fighter. She just yep. no holds bars, just you know, we'll get bloody, you know, that we, you know, we talked about, we love to see it. We love to see the wars. But for me, I guess, because I have two young daughters, seeing that she is a mom who has a daughter herself, her husband, like one of her coaches, Joshua Gomez, you can see how much love they have and her quest to being a mom champ. Like that's the most important thing for her. And I guess as a father, I'm like, all right, perfect. My girls will have 
someone that they can see as a role model that looks just like them and can succeed and can succeed after having a child, which is one of like the hardest things for women in sports to sort of come back from, which is why some of them either choose not to have kids or they have kids and cut their career short. So I'm always rooting for Michelle Watterson. Um, I'm, you know, my, my hope is that she, you know, breaks through in 2021 and and wins, but uh, that's, that's my plug for Michelle Watterson. It's empowering, right? Like, I mean, for, for you, you have two daughters, you know, it's important that they, you know, that they can see that, Hey, you know, I, I can do that. You know, maybe yeah. that you don't want them to become UFC fighters. <laughs> right. But in other aspects, right. Like if, whether it's basketball or, or, or hockey or whatever it is, you know, Oh, I can, there's still an avenue for that. Right. If you, yeah, you know, if you have that Stephen A mentality, man, like that's, that's what's wrong with, you know, the promotion of women's sports, these, these rich analysts, they just don't care about it. Like they don't care about it. And when you don't care about something, yeah, obviously it shows, right? 100%. But, um, I would say, you know, if, if there was more attention, you know, if maybe, you know, start segments of like women's sports and whatever, I don't know, maybe, maybe there will be more of an interest or more attraction, you know, it'll be a little more attractive to the common sports yeah you know connoisseur like it i don't know i just don't think there's enough into it like people aren't putting their effort and in, in time into it right like how many you you turn on Sportsnet, i rarely see anything women related in terms of like hockey or or basketball or whatever the only time i i was watching like women's hockey was during like the world cup or you know whatever it is yeah that's it that's it that's all people forget that there's like there's a league <laughs> you know 100 now you see a little bit more the wnba and stuff I've, I've noticed that you you're seeing a little you're seeing it a little bit more um which is a big step but you know people are pushing that but there are people that are kind of like regressing that progress right you know? and having that mentality that Stephen a mentality that's that's a part of the problem right um I don't know. Uh, I'm okay. I'm definitely okay. I'm more than okay with, you know, with women's UFC fights. I love that stuff. Like, it's great. They can beat me up. Holy smokes. You kidding? I do not want to get in an alleyway with Amanda Nunes and piss her off. Shout out to Dana White, who, like, <laughs> has gone from the guy who said women would never compete in the UFC to being one of the best marketers of women in sports. When you look at Absolutely. like, you know, Absolutely. the Ronda Rousey's, the Amanda Nunes, the Holly Holmes, the Misha Tate's like any, any prominent fighter, he's doing what he can to really, you know, explode their platform so that 100%. they get that recognition. And, you know, when you have fights like, you know, Yoana and Weili Zhang, like it's, it's insane. And, and that's, what's, going to drive the sport moving forward as, yeah, as they move to and market. People it, so. remember that fight. You know, people remember that fight. People will remember that fight. Are you kidding? That's a, that's a hall of fame fight, man. That's like, it was, well, was it fight of the year? Did it end up getting fight? I think it, year? I think it won fight of the year. Yeah. Yeah, man. That was, right. that was just a war. Speaking, Absolute war. speaking of big fights, the main fight uh-huh. on this card between two longtime training partners obviously has to include a guy from brazil so really wets your whistle a little bit but gilbert burns challenging welterweight champion kamaro usman you know 
without any bias as to where someone was born, you know, how do you see this fight going and who do you think walks out Saturday night as the new or and still welterweight champion of the world? Hey man, after <laughs> after that Woodley fight, dude, he looked amazing and I'm like this guy is a big problem. He is a huge problem. I think he matches up so well with Kamaro. Um Man, uh, my heart says Gilbert Burns is going to be and new, man. Uh, my heart just says that. I don't know, man. I, I don't know what it is. It's not him being Brazilian. Um, it has nothing to do with that. I There's something about him. He's a scary man. He's a scary man. I don't know. I And I think I think Kamara's going to get submitted, man. Ooh, I think he's going to get submitted. Okay, so you... He's going to get... So, because Kamara's a great, he's great on the ground, amazing on the ground too, right? But I, I think he's underestimating his his old partner, man. I, I'm listening to like all these interviews, and I, I think he's underestimating him a little bit. I think you know he's like, oh no, I know what he's gonna bring to the table, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. You know, he's probably gonna try stomping on his feet and stuff. You know, all the all the fun Kamara Usman stuff that he, you know he's notorious for, but. I th- I think he's gonna run into a lot of problems. He, it it's gonna if he I'm not surprised if Kamaro wins because he's that great. Right. But um, it's going to be one of those close close fights. I don't think. And if it's not a Gilbert submission, Kamaro will win five rounds. Like it, it'll yeah. be, it'll go the distance. Yeah, it'll go. So I, I think Kamaru Usman, who fight, who fought, you know, Colby uh, Covington. It was an incredible fight. Great fight. Um, yeah, you know, fights uh, Masvidal with a broken nose. Apparently, you know, going into that fight and still, you know, don't they all have something? Uh, still, <laughs> still, still put, still put in work. I broke my hand in the first <laughs> second of the round. And when you hear the fact that this guy walks on grass instead of a sidewalk because his knees are so bad, and yet will wrestle out wrestle Tyron Woodley, will still throw kicks. Damian Maya, Damian Maya, he faced a jujitsu guy already, yeah. right? And that's something he was saying, like, "Hey, man." He wants to submit me. Well, I faced I faced Damian Maya, who's arguably one of the best jujitsu guys out there, right? So, I don't know, man. But I, I dude, I'm telling you, <laughs> my brother from Brazil, my brother from Brazil. I, there's something about him that's just different. There's it's he's different. He's not he's not that. I don't know, man. I don't know. He's just different. I and I think his ground game is exceptional. Man, his submissions are scary. Yeah. His submissions are scary. I, so I think my, right. my prediction is that I, I see Usman chasing the ghost of GSP. With this victory, he continues to clean out the welterweight division yep. the same way that GSP did when he was champion. And I don't know if it, if, if it isn't Gilbert... If it, is it Masvidal with a full camp? Is it Colby Covington with a second? I don't see anybody in that division right now. I don't now. see anyone beating him, man. He either has to go up or, or like, I don't see him going down. But I can see him probably going up. So I um, I say Kumara Usman is still UFC welterweight champion. I think he actually gets it done within four rounds. I think it'll be via TKO. I feel like he... 
he'll, you know, in the second round might get in a shot that sort of, you know, changes things for Gilbert a little bit, gets him a little daze. You know, he was, he had a, Gilbert had a long right. layoff too, because they were supposed to fight uh, last year. Was it? Yeah, was it COVID or something? And it was related? it was COVID related. I don't know yeah. if he got COVID or if somebody of his team tested positive for COVID. I think he had. I think he had COVID. Yeah. And so you know, it'd be very interesting to see, you know, now after so many months have passed, Oof. if there are any lingering effects of what that may have had long term for him. But I think Kumar Usman gets it done Saturday night. Walks out, still UFC welterweight champion of the world. I think you're underestimating, man. I think everyone's underestimating Gilbert Burns, man. I think he's different, man. This is like the one fight. I don't know. Maybe Colby Covington people thought like, you know, that perhaps he could be the guy to do it, right? But yeah. I don't know. This guy's just a different breed. He's a different animal, man. His, <laughs> his power. Like, dude, he he's a different breed. I don't know. I don't know, man. I think... Is he a different animal in the same beast? It's a Kobe. It's a Kobe Bryant reference. Kobe Bryant reference. Come on, Pete. Yeah, 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 yes. Sorry, man. <laughs> I think. Uh, no, listen. I think. Right I think over it, the head. I think it'll be a good fight. I think it'll be one of those fights that, like, at one thirty in the morning, you and I are texting back and forth, like, "What did we just see?" Or just praising a yeah. performance from somebody. That was like. That was like me watching that McGregor fight, man. I. <laughs> I I remember texting you or, or messaging you. I'm like, what? Was I sleeping? Just happened? Where, is this a dream? Yeah, I'm like, is, the fight hasn't started yet, right? <laughs> that was that was insane. Yeah, it's. I did not expect. I did not expect that, man. I think they they talked him up. You know, new Connor. You know, he's dedicated, committed, and then again, ring rust. <laughs> you lose, and it's ring rust. Yeah, but, but, but which is, but what are you gonna say, Pete? What okay. are you gonna say? Oh, he's had too long of a layoff. He's a little schlubbish, you know. But we took this fight with Dustin anyway. No, of course you're gonna. I mean, and even now, John Cavanaugh, his coach, has pivoted and had this picture on Instagram the other day where it was like three different Connors inside of like the Wolverine None. like oh, tubes. The bad where, guy, I think, right? Yeah, it's like Mr. Mystic Mac, guy. good guy, and Uh-oh. it's like the mad guy, and he broke free, and so Uh-oh. it's marketing one hundred and one. So what? Now we're gonna hear him. You know, his his old antics. Is that is that what it is? Hey, I'm in for I'm in for it. That's what I that's how I fell in love with the guy. I was like, oh man, this guy's amazing. You know, he talks so much smack and he backs it up. Yes, I love it. This is amazing. It's awesome. And it was so good for the UFC to have a guy like Conor McGregor, man. And I don't think man, I don't know I don't know who carries that torch. Like he was just his own kind of persona. Yeah, really, no one like him. It it might be a pivot for them. It might be like because I mean he comes off the shelf for not fighting for about a year, and comes back during the pandemic with limited crowds and sets the pay per view. He's in the top five for pay per view, yeah. in which he's already has three or two other performances. He's three of the top five, and he's been gone yep. for a year. So I mean that just shows you the star power Conor McGregor has. Uh, I don't know if anyone really carries the torch. If you look at some of the fights that have come up, they've had to be like super cards in order to fill some of yeah. those other two uh, spots in the top five. Um, I don't know. I think uh, I don't think you replace Conor McGregor. Man. You just you pivot. You can't, man. But dude, that lightweight division, oh boy, scary. That's... Do you think? Um, do you think it'll be Charles Oliveira versus Poirier for a title? Oh, I I I see Dustin 
as a guy who believes in his cause. And I don't like he might fight Charles Oliveira. He's not going to fight Chandler. I honestly think that there's a better yeah, he chance. Said, he said that, yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's a better chance. If I'm a betting man, I'm saying McGregor. you see a trilogy fight for the title before anyone else contends for the lightweight title against Dustin Poirier. Those are my thoughts. Is that fair though? But is but here's the thing: is has the I U- mean, like the UFC could do whatever the hell they want, and, and they like, have, and they have a look, history of, yeah. of moving guys in to fight for titles. Like, is it fair that GSP fought Michael Bisping for the 185 title after never fighting at that <laughs> weight ever and being retired for no. like seven years? No, no, <laughs> no not at no. all. So the UFC is no. going to no. do whatever it can yeah. to make money, and I think COVID was the perfect example of just how fragile a sport can be because in a second everything can go away. So make your money. Oh man, but dude, I I don't know, man. Charles Oliveira, that guy's that's another one of my other Brazilian brothers, man. He, <laughs> he dude, he that guy again. He's a problem, an animal, man. He's a big, big problem. What he did to Tony Ferguson, oh boy, oh my god. Tony Ferguson's arm, I I was like, oh my god, it's gonna, <laughs> that thing is gonna just. Yeah, <laughs> Tony Tony Ferguson is another is another uh, is another guy, yeah. but Charles Oliveira. I think, yeah, he's a, he's he put his yeah. stamp. He he showed that he belongs with the big boys. Is he deserving a type of a title shot? One hundred percent. Will he get oh, it? Yeah. I I don't know because again, how do you market that? Know, it doesn't it doesn't look as sexy as Connor Dustin three. Yeah, and then Gaethje will probably face Chandler. I think that's like, I think that's the next thing for him. Chandler was great, but you know what? People, they, I don't know. They're like, oh, he wasn't in the UFC for a long time. First fight, why is he getting all these? Man, the guy is like a legend in Bellator. Okay, yeah, put in the work. Like it's totally fine. I'm totally cool with it. As long as you're an animal and you can stand with the big dogs, like you beat Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker's no joke, man. Dan Hooker's great fighter. He went five rounds with Dustin Poirier, which landed Poirier with McGregor, and. Dan Hooker got knocked out within the first round by Chandler. There's no better way to make your UFC debut than being as good as you are with your record and accolades and then going and just snuffing out Dan Hooker the way he did. Yeah, who they thought would would beat him, right? Dan Dan Hooker, I think... I think he was. I think he was the favorite, right? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, for, for a while or something. Um, so yeah, no, it's a def, It's definitely an interesting, very, very interesting division. Oh my god, it's like <laughs> mouthwatering. <laughs> like, ooh, what's gonna happen now? Nate Diaz wants to come back ooh. and fight too. And Nick Whatever. and Nick Diaz uh, wants to come back. Ooh. Yeah. Oh my god, man. Oh, there's ah, there's so many good things, man. Ngannou, Stipe. That's gonna be a banger. Oh my god, John Jones at heavyweight this year is gonna be, this year is gonna be crazy. Uh, but I, I'll be very honest. The fight I really want to see more than anything else in 2021. COVID, don't mess this up, please. I want to see Maz Vidal and Colby Covington beat the snot out of each other for five rounds. Yes, war. I'm down for the war. Just man. because they talk so much <laughs> smack outside the ring, they talk so much smack inside the I ring. Love it. I want to. They were s- partners, right? They were, were they teammates, best at one friends. Point? Best friends. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's the best part. <laughs> like, it, I love it. It's it's insane. Yes. That's what I want to see. And you can make whatever title you want for it, whether it's like the 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 worst. Call it whatever you want, well, man. Put it put a title <laughs> on it. Make it five rounds. Give a million dollar bonus. I don't care, but I want to see that fight happen. BMF. 
BMF belt, man. Whatever. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Whatever, man. Let's just do it for the BMF belt. Whatever. One that I want, man, so bad, but I don't think it's going to happen, man. It's going to be like that GSP Silva thing. Uh, you already know. Jones out of Sanya. Yeah. I want that. I want that so bad. <sighs> so, so bad. I think, but I do think it happens if Adesanya beats Jan. Yeah, I mean Adesanya beats Jan, and John Jones beats whoever he has to beat. But the the thing is, then what do you do as John Jones? You beat your first heavyweight, then you probably contend for a title for sure. So that puts more of a weight on the Adesanya thing, unless Adesanya goes. Well, I'm just going to move up to heavyweight too. So I, I that, that's what I was going to say. I think what Jones, what Jones wanted to Which do, would be legendary if he does. Yeah, it. well, be so sick. Jones wanted to goes up and put the weight on. He wanted to put the weight on. He wanted to do it incrementally. Adesanya is just such a badass. He's going to be like, oh, you want to fight it. 205, 265. I'll fight you wherever, whenever. When he talked about fighting John Jones, it wasn't about, oh, let me clean out a division. Let me put on weight so I'm at that that level to be able to compete with you. It's, no, I just want to do it at, at Raider Stadium. I want to be on the biggest stage to fight you. And so Adesanya, middleweight, light heavyweight champion, even if John uh, Bones doesn't have the title, Izzy still goes up to heavyweight regardless and fights him that that's my thought i think Izzy's just that badass i think i i think he's going to i i don't think he's afraid man. no i think john jones i think john jones secretly is super afraid of that kid that kid is good man he's so 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 good there's a lot to be afraid right? of. so many times sometimes you underestimate you know uh what's his name uh the juice head paul uh, <laughs> oh my god paulo costa i just lost his name paulo costa there you go you know, I was like, "Oh yeah, Paul Costa. He, you know, he's gonna he's gonna cause some trouble." Yeah, didn't do anything. I'm like, "Okay, wow. Okay, this guy's a badass. All right, <laughs> I, I I'm all for Izzy, man. Like he's so good, and it'd be so um, it'd be so incredible. I love John Jones, by the way. It reminds me a lot of Anderson Silva. Yeah, one of my favorite fighters of all time, um, if not my favorite fighter of all time. I love Anderson Silva. And um, reminds me a lot. And Izzy sort of has that aspect too, which is why I like him as well. Um, but dude, how crazy would it be? You know, Izzy going up to heavyweight and beating John Jones. Legendary, Ooh. legendary. I, how how would you argue? I think he'd be the goat. I think Izzy would be the goat. Yeah. Over Khabib, I think he'd be the goat. I I, in my personal opinion, if you take out John Jones, who is said to be the goat. Yes. Right. In his eyes, he is the goat. Um, and in many, I I view him as one of sure, the goats. For sure. I think Khabib Khabib is great. I think Khabib is. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> different, but different monsters. I think John Jones went through some hard, hard people, man, to get to where he is. Like he went through some crazy people and life stuff. And he did it all messed up, man. He was messed up and beating people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Khabib, he was like straight and narrow, man. He was great. You know, never got into trouble. No, this guy was partying. He was partying before fights. He was doing all these things, whatever, controversy, and he was still kicking ass. So, I don't know, man, but if Izzy, if Izzy pulls it off, dude, he's he's the GOAT. And then I, I would just set, you know, I, I would retire right there, man. I'd be like, <laughs> I did it all. I just beat the guy that nobody was able to beat, you know? 
I mean, yeah, he lost because of the steroid thing, right? But he doesn't have an actual official loss. No, he has, so, he's got one disqualification, and that was from illegal yeah. like elbows. Cormier, right? No, oh, no, okay. no. That yeah, was a no contest. No? Uh, John Jones' when was that? first official loss came against, and I don't remember his name, but it came early in his career. It's when he was delivering some 12-6 elbows, and 12-6. at that oh, time, right it wasn't allowed, yeah. so he got disqualified, um, and that's his only official loss in his UFC career. Damn. Was that allowed in pride fighting, the 12-6? Uh, Every was everything was allowed. You could bring like a baseball Chairs, bat to the ring. Knives, and- <laughs> everything. I loved pride fighting, man. That 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 was br- oh my god, it was brutal. <laughs> Vanderlei Silva was like the king of pride fighting. Oh man. sure, so crazy. <laughs> yeah, juiced Kicking up Vanderlei, juiced up everybody. <laughs> loved it. Oh man, Alistair Overeem in Pride. Oh my God, he looked like an absolute beast. Oh well, as God. as as Joe Rogan as Joe Rogan calls him, Uberim, Alistair Uberim, because he was just <laughs> yeah. inflated. He's huge, dude. He was just massive, unreal, massive, unreal, massive. He looked like balloons. I don't know. He just filled <laughs> balloons, but crazy man, very crazy. By the way, before you say anything, you better watch. Uh, Francis Ngannou podcast with Joe Rogan. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Listen, big fan Super of- Super emotional stuff, man. That guy, what a story. Uh, so crazy. One of the greatest stories of all time. If you don't know Francis Ngannou's story, working at Salt Mines, you know, starting his career so late and seeing where he is, uh, incredible, incredible story. Uh, love to see it. Can't wait to see him, you know, knock out uh, Stipe Miotic. This is going to happen. Oh, it'd be, it'd be great, man. First round, bah. boom, head straight off his shoulders. Anyways, listen, Pete, oh, I want to thank you for your time. It's been amazing. Uh, we could talk for, for hours. We'll probably do this again because we have yeah, man. so much more to discuss. But if people want to follow you, uh, your music, your music videos, yeah. everything that you have going on, where can they find you? All right, so you could check out my Instagram, Facebook, all the social media pa- platforms, and it's just Peter Serrato. And on YouTube, Peter Serrato, you'll find everything there. Um, stay tuned. We got some new releases on the way. We got Lisbon, cool little video for that. You know, a little COVID-friendly video. <laughs> you know, we animated. It'll be really cool. I'm super, super stoked for that. Then we got the release of Ceylon, and then we got some surprises later on with some new material, new look, new sound. It'll be incredible boom and it'll be awesome boom but dude thank you so much for having me i know we've we've wanted to do this for a while and i apologize um just been a little busy with things but um i'm so happy to be on here man yeah it's great and i love what you're doing this was a lot of fun i'm glad that you were able to do this i can't wait for you uh for you to come back listen if you want to listen to pete's new album apple music spotify Everywhere that you get your music, it is available. And if you're interested in listening to more episodes of the Big O Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast with full-length episodes up on YouTube. So make sure you hit that like button, subscribe for future episodes, leave a review. For my guest, Peter Serrato, I'm your host, Julian Ortiz. Thank you for watching and listening, everybody. See you next time.